Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. We are in week two of our series, Vacation. I am so excited because our kids pastor, Logan Robert, is here to to speak with us. And uh, Logan, this is actually your first time speaking on the weekend. It is, it is. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself? For sure, for sure. So as I said earlier, obviously I'm Logan. I'm the kids pastor here. I've actually been here about five years total, which is actually insane to think about because when I first came here five years ago, I came as an intern. I hadn't actually even heard of the Met. I just knew someone who worked here. And so I came on as an intern and then later became a children's director and now the children's pastor. It's actually been pretty crazy. Um, and actually to that note, when I first came here, uh, I wasn't married. Um, I came with my girlfriend at the time, Katie. Um, and then fast forward five years and today we're actually celebrating uh, our anniversary. We'll be married four years today. Oh, well, so yeah, it's really exciting. Some of y'all are like, rookie, you ain't seen nothing yet. And you're probably right, you're probably right. But yeah, so we've been married uh, for four years. It's just been so cool because um, we our family's literally grown up at this church. Um, and last year, we actually hit another just huge milestone, which has been so much fun. Um, we had our first kiddo. Uh, her little name is Dakota. She's almost nine months old now. So I'm gonna show y'all a picture of her. And she is just, man, she's the best. She's just a little bundle of energy. There she is. Yeah, she's uh, about twice that big now. <laughs> Uh, that was like two months ago. No one tells you how fast babies grow up. Uh, it's so funny. Like, I'm the oldest of six, so, you know, I've been around kids most of my life. It's almost too perfect that I'm a kid's pastor, right? Um, but, you know, you, you don't really think about how fast they grow up. Well, Dakota, it's just like, oh, my gosh, it's like you blink, and she's just in a totally different new life stage because, like, she just started crawling, right? And we're like, oh, that's so cool. We have tile in our living room, and so she was crawling around one day, and then we're like, wow, you're crawling, that's great. And then all of a sudden she grabs the couch, stands up, looks at me and Katie, and then lets go and smiles and ah, starts falling back. I'm like, no! We're like, we didn't know you could do that. And so it's just, it's been cool. We love being here. Um, our families love being here for sure. That's it. Well, great, great family. We are blessed to have them as part of the Met. And I know that uh, your kids are blessed because uh, Logan brings it every single week and ministering to your kids. And you're in for a real treat to hear him speak today as well as we continue our series, Vacation. And this whole series is about taking you on a vacation, taking you on an adventure. And, and when I hear uh, your, your vacations, they are quite an adventure. Why don't you kind of tell them what you like to do on vacation? For sure, for sure. So when me and Katie first got married, uh, we learned pretty quick that, you know, we, we don't mind going to the beach for sure. Like we're going to the beach in just uh, probably a few days actually. Um, but if we had to like pick, we love to just pick random adventures and go. Um, and so our uh, one hobby I've just kind of picked up on the last few years and I've been dragging Katie along is rock climbing. And so we'll just kind of go to places and, and we'll, it's literally the middle of nowhere. You hike even more nowhere and then you find a cliff. And since hiking wasn't hard enough, we decided to just take a rope and go up this cliff. Uh, and it's actually a lot of fun. It's pretty cool because you just, it's quiet. You don't have cell reception. It's just, it's so peaceful. Uh, we actually went to Moab not too long ago, Moab, Utah. That place was gorgeous. I mean, so like I'm from Illinois, which is flat. Then you move to Texas, which is flat. So then you go anywhere with more than a 30-degree angle, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is gorgeous. So yeah, Moab was great. And then our most recent adventure uh, was, it was one for the books, man, let me tell you. So my dad, for his 50th birthday, um, said, hey, you guys want to go skydiving? Me and Kato looked at each other like, sure, why not? Let's go skydiving. We love a good adventure. 
I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And so we, we get in this plane and, you know, I'm strapped up to my instructor. She's strapped up to her instructor. We got two in front of us. And, you know, the plane takes off and they don't close the door. Because why would you? You're in an airplane <laughs> going 13,000 feet in the air. And so that was red alert number one. And so I just remember staring at the door and I just remember thinking to myself, maybe I've gone too far on this one. <laughs> this, this, this one. This might be the last adventure. So anyway, it's so funny. As we're flying up, Katie's instructor taps my instructor and points at my buckle. He goes, hey, when we land, remind me to tell you why I don't do that. <laughs> I was like, what? No, don't tell him when we land. Like, you tell him now. Like, do I need to refresh the main goal? The main goal, I asked my mom to babysit Dakota, not adopt her, okay? <laughs> I plan on like landing this plane and surviving. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. We loved it. But yeah, we just, we like to keep it interesting with our vacations. Yeah, that's good. I, I like adventure too. But you know, <coughs> to me, I've always felt that, you know, if I'm supposed to get to a top of a cliff, there should be an elevator, right? You know what I mean? It's kind of one of those things. And why anybody would jump out of a perfectly good airplane just doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, yeah. but I'm glad you like the adventure. But, and we're going to take you on an adventure today because we're going to take you to a place called Nineveh. Okay, if you're not familiar with Nineveh, Nineveh is located in what is now modern day Iraq in the northern part of modern day Iraq. And it's the capital of the Assyrian empire. And what you need to know is the Assyrians and the Israelites didn't get along. In fact, they were enemies of each other and they had very big battles with each other through this. But why this story is so important is because this story I think is gonna make us look at ourselves more closely than probably we've ever done before. And, um, and so it's a great story. But before we get there, there actually is an adventure to get to Nineveh. In fact, um, Logan, a lot of people think that it's a, a whale of a tail. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how we get to Nineveh? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, the story starts off, obviously, with this guy named Jonah, right? And so Jonah, um, he gets called by God to go to Nineveh. Now, the interesting thing, uh, Rob kind of alluded to it earlier, is Nineveh had a reputation. Uh, they were not good people at all. They, they were evil, they were uh, malicious, they actually enjoyed torturing enemies. I mean, they're just evil people. If you look at the original Greek, uh, another word for it is called an Eagles fan. Um, <laughs> maybe that's just me. But yeah, and so they just were not great people, right? And so I think Jonah, understandably so, wasn't too keen on going. And so he travels down to a place called Joppa. And when he arrives at Joppa, he plans a trip, not for Nineveh, but for Tarshish. And I wanna show you a map just to really enunciate how dramatic this is. So if you look right there, Joppa is kind of to the bottom right. Well, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, which is about mm, 550 miles away from there. Well, he hops on a boat and goes all the way to the other side towards Tarshish, which is over 2,000 miles away. So he's not just like, ah, I really don't want to go. He's like, no, I'm not going. It's just absolute rebellion. So he goes the complete opposite direction. And as he embarks on this journey, he's on this boat, right? And all of a sudden, a storm comes. And when that storm comes, it begins to toss this boat around. And so the sailors begin to freak out because they're like, oh man, like this boat's about to sink. So they actually begin to start throwing cargo overboard. Um, and then it's still not working. Their, their boat is still in dire straits. So what do they do? They decide to cast lots to see whose fault it is. Well, the lots land on Jonah. Imagine being him. It's a pretty bad way for it to go. So they all look at him and they begin to berate him with questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What's going on? And so... He looks at them and he answers the questions. He tells them he's Jonah and he has actually disobeyed his God. And what you need to do is throw me into the ocean. Now, I can't help when I read a Bible story, but put myself in it, right? And so when I put myself in this situation, I put myself actually as one of the sailors and I'm looking at Jonah and this boat's about to go down and it's all your fault. Not mine, all yours. 
And honestly, if I'm one of those sailors and you say, all you have to do is throw me into the, that's about how far in that sentence you're gonna get before you're overboard. Because I, I wanna survive this boat ride, right? But the sailors actually don't do that. It's kind of cool. They actually try and row back to shore, but it still doesn't work. The storm is too strong. So they're stuck out at sea. So they finally relent. They take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And in verse 17, we see something pretty interesting. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of God's provision, a giant fish swallowing me does not come to mind. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just not in the cards for me, but it is. And actually that's really cool. And I wanna point that out because we're actually gonna go back to that a little bit later. So I want you to take that and just tuck it away. God provides this huge fish. And it's really cool because inside the belly of this giant fish, you begin to see a change inside of Jonah. Jonah really takes a moment and in verse two, it says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Now I wanna pause here for a moment because all throughout the story, we're gonna see moments where Jonah kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse of perhaps what, what our life looks like, of, of what our inner battle is and perhaps how we might respond to a certain situation. You see, Jonah is in the belly of the whale, not by chance. He's there because he didn't do what he knew he was supposed to do. It wasn't a mystery. He knew it and still didn't want to do it. But yet he gets in this terrible situation. And what does he say? God, why have you forsaken me? Help. We definitely, maybe I'm just speaking for me, but I doubt it. A lot of us in this room have had that moment where we know we're supposed to do something. We don't do it. It gets us in a bad situation. And all of a sudden we're going, help God, where are you in this? So I just wanna propose that perhaps if you're in a difficult situation, clearly it doesn't apply across the board, but perhaps you're there not by chance, but by choice. And the encouraging part of the story is even if it is by choice, God has a plan to save you. And that's what's so cool about this story. So if you look forward, um, Jonah, he's in the belly of the whale. He, well, whale, there we go. <laughs> That's a toughie sometimes. So he's in the belly of this whale, right? And so God hears his prayer. He sees his repentant heart and he commands the fish to vomit him onto shore. What a wonderful word in the Bible. Uh, vomit, yeah, it's great. So it vomits him onto shore. And here's what's crazy. People see it. And they see Jonah get spat out of this fish onto the beach. Imagine that walk. And so obviously word begins to spread. Um, in fact, it's most likely he was spat onto the beach nearby Nineveh, and so word gets to Nineveh really quickly. Here's what's pretty cool about this. The Ninevites, the people living in Nineveh, worshiped a fish god. And so when word reaches them that there's a man who survived being eaten by a fish, well, they can't help but have their ears a little bit perked up. They're intrigued. And what this tells me is that God's already beginning to prepare the hearts of the people in Nineveh, and Jonah doesn't even know it. So there he is, he spat onto shore. And then we see in chapter three, God speaks to him again and says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He gives him another opportunity and says, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I gave you. So he does that this time. Instead of running, his heart has changed. He's aligned himself closer with God. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches this message. Message that if you do not repent in 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And while he's preaching to a city of a bunch of people that don't like him, don't really care for him or his people, and in fact have a reputation for being evil and really rude people, they receive this message. 
And it's so, so cool. A citywide fast is proclaimed, they repent. And you read in verse 10, what God does. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Mm-hmm. Seems like the perfect bow to put on top of the story, right? You have Jonah who is supposed to do this mission and this adventure and he doesn't do it, but then God brings him around and because he follows through on something he really didn't want to do, he was afraid of doing, because of him powering through that, God rescues not only him, but also the city. Seems like the perfect way to end the story. Except if you look in your Bible, you notice there's still another chapter. That's because the story doesn't end there. No, it doesn't. I mean, it would have been a perfect way to end the story. I mean, here's a guy who ran from God. He didn't do what God wanted him to do. He gets himself in trouble. How many times have we ever done that? We've run from God, we get ourselves in trouble. And when he gets himself in trouble, he runs to God. And what is God there? He opens his arm and he welcomes him back. He forgives him gives him a second chance, and now he runs with God, and he does what God wants him to do. And because he does that, a whole city is saved. A whole city is saved. I mean, this is a time of rejoicing, right? This is a time of celebration, because all of these people have turned to God. But that's not the story of Jonah. And that's why this story is gonna make all of us look at ourselves in the mirror. Because instead of rejoicing, What Jonah did after God had turned this city around, he looked at God and said, you did the wrong thing. See, to Jonah, this looked very, very wrong. See, to Jonah, he got angry at God. He got angry at God because of the fact that he didn't think these people deserved to be saved. He looked at who they were and what they've done, and he thought, no, they deserve the judgment of God, not the forgiveness of God. Now, before you get too, too uh, concerned and, and, and too like mad at Jonah over this, you gotta think about yourself. Think about yourself. Are there people that you have, think, have done such terrible things that you would disagree with God if he forgave them? Do you have people, have you seen things that maybe have done to you and that you find out that God has forgiven them Would you be looking like Jonah at these people? Looking at God and saying, how could you do that? How could you you let them go? Because you gotta realize that Jonah probably knew people that had been killed by the Ninevites. He probably knew people that were tortured by the Ninevites. But then God forgives them. And so he's having a hard time. And I think that's where we have to look at ourselves because a lot of times we can look at people and say, man, they don't deserve to be saved. They deserve to be punished. And that's really where this story is going. Because Jonah turns around and he says, God, that's why I went to Tarsus. That's why I ran from you in the first place. Now, when I was growing up, I don't think I ever heard the fourth chapter of Jonah. I don't know about you. It was always the first part. You know, he runs and, 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 and gets swallowed by the fish and then he prays and God forgives him. I never hear the first part. It wasn't the fourth part until I became older. See, I always thought that the reason why that that Jonah ran was because he was scared of what the Ninevites were gonna do do to him because they were evil people. They did awful things. They tortured people. And so I'm thinking, here he is. God tells him to go into this city who doesn't doesn't, uh, worship the same God as him and tell them to stop what they're doing and worship his God. And they're gonna go, yeah, and they're gonna kill him. That's what I think he was afraid. But see, Jonah wasn't afraid 
of what, what, what the Ninevites would do to him. He was afraid of what God was gonna do for the Ninevites. And then when God does it, he's upset. And this is what he says. He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. You were slow to anger. You were abounding in love. You were a God that relents at sending calamity. I mean, think about what, what Jonah is saying there. Jonah is saying, I knew the heart of God. I just didn't share that heart. I didn't share God's heart for people because I was picking and choosing who I think God should save. Now, I think this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible because if you're here today and you're thinking, can God love me for what I've done? Maybe you're watching and you're thinking, man, I've done so wrong. I've run so far away from God. There is no way that he could ever forgive me, that he could ever wanna have a relationship with me. That's your verse. That is your verse there because that's God's love for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. God's grace reaches there for you. But Jonah wasn't having it. He was angry. He was upset. And he goes, I just want to die. I just want to die. I don't want to be a part of anything you're doing. He said, don't involve me in this anymore. I mean, just think about that. God wants to use you to be a part of a blessing, to see people get saved. And you don't even want to be a part of it. This is where he was. See, what happened to Jonah, what happened to Jonah was the fact that he had surrendered to what God was doing for him. He never surrendered what God was trying to do with the people around him. See, he had surrendered to what God was trying to do in him. He just never surrendered to what God was trying to do through him. And because he never surrendered, he became judgmental. And that's where all of us can be. All of us can be, if we're not surrendered to what God is trying to do in and through us, we can be judgmental. You know how you're judgmental? This is how you're judgmental. You think you're gonna be a really good person. You're gonna do a really good person, but you don't care about people who aren't like you. You think you're, you're gonna try to be this really, really good person, but you don't have compassion for people who you don't think are as good as you. See, so you become judgmental when you try to be this really, really good person, but you forget that God forgave you. And because you forget that, you forget about those people that are around you. And that's where he was. And so what happens? God calls him out. God calls him out and he said, is it right for you to be angry? Come on, Jonah. I mean, really, are we kidding here? I mean, wasn't it you that I showed grace to just a couple weeks ago? Wasn't it you that needed me to save you? Wasn't it you that needed me to forgive you? Wasn't it you that needed me to give you an, a second chance? And you're having a problem with this? Jonah didn't answer. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know what he does? He's like a little kid. He goes off, he gets, gets outside the city and has his own little pity party. He goes up and sits on the side and he watches, kind of crosses his arms and says, look, I don't want a part of it. I think it was a wrong thing. These people deserve punishment. I'm just gonna sit here and watch and I hope it all caves in, God, because you did the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. And what does God do? It says, then the Lord provided um, a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade because it was all hot. It was hot, it was bothered. And it was to ease his discomfort. And it says that, guess what? Jonah was happy about that. Jonah liked that. When God did that for him, oh yeah. But it said at dawn of the next day, guess what? He provides a worm. And he eats through this leafy plant and it withers and dies. And Jonah's upset again. He's all mad. 
He's all mad. It's kind of like what Logan was saying that remember that when you look at the story of Jonah, Jonah the, God provided three things for Jonah. He provided a fish, he provided a plant, and he provided a worm. See, he provided a fish when he was thrown overboard so he wouldn't die. He provided a plant when he was all hot and bothered, bothered to comfort him. And what God was saying to Jonah and he's saying to you and I is that when it needs to be about you, I'll make it about you. When I need to be there for you and to take care of you, I'm gonna be there. But he provides a worm. And what he was saying is not everything has to be about you. Not everything has to be about you. But Jonah's upset. So God says, do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And he goes, yes. I'm so angry, I just wanna die. I don't wanna be a part of it. He was so consumed with himself. And that's what God was saying. He goes, he goes you're, you're, you're concerned about a plant that you did nothing to have? You didn't do anything to get it or to have it taken away? That you are so concerned with yourself that you're missing what I'm trying to do. You're missing the whole point that an entire city was saved. An entire city turned to me. And you're upset because you're not getting your way. And so what he does, he asks a question. He ends by saying, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who, cannot, who don't know their, their, their right from their left. They're saying they're totally lost. And he says this, he says, should I not be concerned with that great city? Jonah, look at what they are. Look at where they've been. Should I not be concerned with that great city? And that's the end. That's how the book of Jonah ends. It ends with that question. And guess what? We never know what he said. We don't know how he answered that. No, we don't. It's pretty interesting, actually. <clears throat> it's the only book in the Bible that ends in a question. Um, and it's, it's so interesting. And I'm willing to bet that when God asks, should I not be concerned for the city, uh, I don't think he's taking a survey. <laughs> I, I think what he's really doing is, is he's challenging us as the reader to answer that question for ourselves. What should or what is God concerned about? More specifically, what is God concerned about in our life? So right now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna present to you three things that we believe God is concerned about in your life. And those three things are your character, your compassion, and your commitment. So let's kick it off with this very first one, character. Uh, for character, I wanna show you a verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's verses five through seven. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now, it's a mouthful for sure, but there's definitely some important stuff in there. And I think the main and most important part is the add to your faith. See, I think right here, Peter is giving us a glimpse of what character, specifically godly character, looks like. Mm -hmm. Character is adding to your faith. And then the verse continues to show us things that add to our faith. You see, character is so important because in order to have it, you have to add to your faith. Well, how do you add to your faith? You have to line yourself up with God and his heart. Now, how do you do this? Well, I think of marriage as a great example because it's a great example for a lot of things in the Bible. 
Um, so what immediately comes to mind is, you know, me and Katie, when we first got married, uh, I noticed something really, really, um, really fast. And that was that she is uh, late sometimes, <laughs> quite often. Uh, not by a whole lot, not by like an hour or two, just like five, 10 minutes late, just kind of all the time. Um, I'm not that way. Not even like a little bit. Um, if I'm five minutes early, I'm wiping the sweat off because I was afraid I was gonna be late. Like, that's just how I am. But over time, you know, just we kind of rubbed off on each other as you do when you spend time with someone because you can't help uh, but rub off on someone and absorb some of their characteristics when you spend time with them. So as we spend time, we're kind of sorting this thing out. We're realizing, oh, okay, if I do that, you don't like that. Okay, well, I can do that. Oh, if I do this, it helps. Cool, cool, cool. So over time, you know, and four years later, you know, I'm proud to say that when we do go somewhere, we're still late. It's just kind of how it goes. And, and it's okay. It's okay. Um, but it, it's a, just a fact of life, man. When you spend time with anyone, it doesn't have to be a spouse. When you spend a great deal of time with anyone, you will take on some of their characteristics. Well, here's this thing with this relationship with Jesus. is that relationship part. There's not a silver bullet that all of a sudden connects us with God and gets us in line with his heart. Because it's not that way when it comes to our relationship. There's not one thing you do that builds that relationship. It's spending time. It's a combination of these things. And the same is true with God. It's reading your Bible, yes. But it's also prayer. It's also worship. It's also service. There's all these things. And when you combine those things together, that's when you add to your faith. That's when you add to your character. Because when you're close with God, that's when God can really work on your heart. And the reason why this is so important is because your calling can never outgrow your character. Mm -hmm. Your calling can never outgrow your character. If you look at Jonah, at the beginning of the story, his character, his heart is not close enough to God. He looks at the Ninevites with, with the wrong goal, with the wrong mindset. But what's cool is God doesn't leave him there. God does something to bring him back, to put his heart where it should be, because Jonah spends time with him. And hopefully we don't have to get thrown into the belly of a whale to realize that. So, you know, it's so good saying that, that your character is, is based on the people that you're around, that you surround yourself with. And, and uh, I think that we have to realize that what is our circle? You know, who, who has influenced us? And one is God influenced us the most. And is the circle that we surround ourselves also being influenced by God? Because that gets to our character where we need to be. Because when I think of character, I think of it as, as, as who you are when nobody's looking. That's your character, who you are when nobody's looking. And the people that are around you directly influence who you are when nobody's looking and uh, be a part of that. I remember in, I think it's Acts 13, 22, and, and, and it was Paul, he was writing this and he was saying to everyone, why did God put David on the throne? Why did he remove Saul from, from the throne of Israel? And he put David on that throne. And he said that God did that because when he looked at David, he saw a man after his own heart. And he saw a man who would do what he wanted him to do. Now, you know the story of David. David made a lot of mistakes. David messed up a lot. But see, God, he's not looking at what you do as much on the outside as much as the inside. And that's where your character is. It starts inside. It starts with your heart. And he said, he's got a heart that's after me. And that's the character that God is looking for in us. That's what he's trying to, to grow us into, to have that same heart that God has. Because when we have that heart that God has, we will do what God wants us to do. 
And that kind of leads us to that second point of what God is concerned about. He's concerned about our compassion. He's concerned about our compassion. First John 3, 17, it says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He's saying that, that how can you have the love of God in you if you see somebody in need and you don't do anything about it? Now, what you need to understand why that verse says that is because that's God's heart. When God sees a need, he does something about it. When God saw the need for us, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. When God sees a need, and that's what it says in 1 John 3, 16, it says that, that how do we know what love is? Christ gave his life for us, and that's what we need to do. We need to surrender to, to those that are around us. We need to serve those who are around us. That's the compassion he calls for it. When Jesus was talking in, in, in Luke 10, he was, he was talking to a group and there were some Pharisees there as well. He was, and he was telling them about the greatest commandment. He said, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And one of the Pharisees pipes up and he says to him, he goes, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? He was sounding like Jonah. He was going, we get to pick and choose who we take care of. And so what Jesus responds by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? He talks about a man that was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was talking about this man coming out of Jerusalem, so we assume he was a Jewish man. And on his way, he gets mugged, and he gets beaten, and he gets left for dead. And what we see in the story is he says that, that while he's laying there, that, that two men, a, a priest and a Levite, passed him, two other Jewish men passed him and do absolutely nothing. But then what happens, a Samaritan comes along and he sees the man in need and he helps him. Now, what you need to know about the story is that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They don't have anything to do with each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't associate with each other. But the Samaritan helps the Jewish man. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, and he turns to the Pharisee. And he says, who was the neighbor to this man? And he said, the one who showed mercy on him. Couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan, but he knew. And what Jesus was saying, that our compassion should be for all people. It doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about your creed. It doesn't matter about your religion. It matters about doing what God calls us to do, and that's to love. See, you gotta understand, God looks at people in two ways, saved and unsaved. And that's how we need to look at people, saved and unsaved. And if that person is saved, man, you just support them and help them do what they, they need to follow God and, and keep going with God. If that person's unsaved, we're preaching Jesus because Jesus is the answer to all things. And that's what this is about. It's showing that compassion to all people. It's, it's true. I mean, it, you really can't read the Bible and not bump into God showing compassion all, all through it. I mean, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. It's extremely clear that it's something God takes very seriously. I'm reminded of uh, Ephesians 4.32 where it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What's so cool is that this compassion God's asking us to show, well, he showed it to us first, just like he did with Jonah. He showed it to Jonah and he wanted Jonah to show it to them. And so that's why being committed to all these things is so important. And that takes us to our third point, which is commitment. So I wanna read you a verse from Philippians 3, and it says, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is that first part that's so important, but one thing I do. Not what two, not what three things I do, one thing I do. See, when it comes to commitment, if you actually are committed to more than one thing, you, you really lose the ability to truly be committed to something. You have to be focused with laser-like focus. You have to be focused on one thing. Because if you're not focused, if you're not committed to that one thing, what's gonna happen naturally is you're going to drift. And here's a fact about that is you never ever drift anywhere good, <laughs> ever. In fact, I remember uh, b- before, uh, as I was getting ready to get married when me and Katie we were engaged, I-, I was just talking to my dad about marriage and all that stuff. And I remember a story he told me and I, I haven't forgot it. It was, he explained about how, you know, marriage, it's like taking a canoe upstream a river. As long as you're rowing, man, it's a great journey. You see cool things, you experience life together, it's great. But the minute you take that oar and put it back in the boat, What happens? Well, now we're going backwards. Not only are we going backwards, you're probably gonna start spinning out of control. And that analogy holds up well past marriage. That's just life. You have to be committed. And what's so interesting is being committed uh, to Jesus and God and what they call us to do is that really Jesus tells us what commitment looks like. He goes, if you love me, love others. So when you take this point of commitment and we carry it out a little bit further, well, practically, it's simple. It's one thing, but it's not necessarily easy. True commitment means you're committed to ministering to those around you. Because here's the cool thing. You have people in your life that only you can minister to. Mm -hmm. You see, Jonah was a man who survived being eaten by a fish and then just so happened to be sent to a city who worshiped a fish god. Talk about a niche, all right? (laughs) Jonah had people he was uniquely called to minister to. So do you. If you're a parent, no one else can be a parent to your kid. No one else can be the spiritual influence to them that you can be. Not a teacher, not me, not a small group, no one. You have people you work with, people in your friend circle. Only you can speak the way you speak to them. And I would go so far as to say, there's probably someone in your life who needs you to be concerned with your character, with showing compassion, and with being committed. Because that voice you have in their life is so important. And so don't let not being concerned about those things keep you from that calling in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's it is. We need to be committed to the ways of the Lord. But I think also that's kind of the hardest thing to do (laughs) at times, because let's face it, you know, we're all about doing what God wants us to do as long as God's doing what we want him to do for us, right? That's where Jonah was. As long as God was providing for him and taking care of him, he was all in. But the minute God was doing something or putting something in his life that made him uncomfortable, that made him go do something that he wasn't really excited to do, that's when he has a problem. And that's when we have the problem. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says this to us. He says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. He said, because guess what? You're gonna face things that you're not gonna like. You're gonna have to do things and go through things that you're not gonna like, but you need to be committed. He said, because it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. And then he says this, and this is where the commitment is. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Don't give up in the process. 
Just because you don't like what God's asking you to do, don't give up. Just because it's hard of what he's asking you to do, don't give up. Just because of the fact that you might not like the outcome, don't stop doing it. Because he says, when you let perseverance finish its work, you will be complete, mature, lacking in nothing. And what he's saying is that when it finishes its work, you're gonna see the way God sees. That's what it's all about. Being committed to God helps you see the way God sees. That was Jonah's problem. He didn't see those people as someone who needed God. And that's what we have to look like. everywhere in our circle, everywhere that's going for. We know that God is the answer to every single question. And we need to be committed to showing the world Christ. So here's the question. Are you concerned with what concerns God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much. We thank you so much for the fact that you saw our need before we even knew it. You saw us in the state of being far, far away from you. You saw us in the state of of being controlled by our sin. But you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sin. And now through his death, his burial and his resurrection that we have life. You provided that need and God help us, help us to be committed to walking in your ways. Help us to be committed to to having the same love and compassion for people that you have. Help us to stay close to you so that we do add to our faith and we add to our, our character so that we do take on your heart. Because God, we want to love as you love. Help us to see people as you see people, as people worth dying for. Because God, we wanna make a difference in this world. And we know that everyone that we come in contact with is their eternity is based on their relationship with you. And that's why we need to show Christ. And maybe you're here today and you haven't entered into that relationship or you're watching online and, and, and you're far from God. God's saying, hey, I love you. I wanna spend eternity with you. I wanna have a relationship with you. God is saying, right where you are, just open up your heart to me. Open up your heart and realize that it's for you I sent my son. And when you, when you can get to that point, when you can say that, God, I realize now that you love me and you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins, And that because he rose again, I have life and I now wanna give my life and put it in your hands. When you believe that, when you say that, you're not part of the family of God. God's got a plan for you. And he's got a plan for you to fulfill his plan, which is to share Christ with those who don't know him. So help us to do that, God. Help us to be a light. Help us to be a difference. God, we love you and praise you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. 
If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.